Father, what we want more than anything tonight is, uh, is not just a worship experience, uh, is not just a helpful sermon. Uh, God, we don't need uh, to hug and see each other. Uh, Lord, we, we don't need uh, uh, the, the elements of what are taking place tonight. Uh, we need uh, the God who sits on the throne that we've come to worship, to read your word, to dive into who you are. So Father, we're asking that you would speak, that you would uh, uh, cover this room, God, that we would hear what you have to say. God, as we talk about prayer, uh, 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 maybe for some of us an unknown, or for some of us we've only experienced certain ways, God, I pray uh, that you would graciously uh, draw us to yourself, that you would graciously remind us uh, your desire for us to carve out that time to sit, be, talk, and listen to you. Uh, Father, tonight as we uh, uh, dive into specifically what it means uh, to pray for ourselves or to pray over ourselves or through who we are and what we do. Uh, Lord, I pray that, um, that, that what we would hear tonight is an invitation from you through your word uh, that, that brings us in uh, to you. So Father, we give all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I want you to think about a familiar situation. Uh, okay, maybe it's my familiar situation, but maybe for you as well. You're standing at the checkout line at Costco or Sam's, whatever your flavor, and you're staring down at your cart, and all of a sudden you've got this pressing thought that you thought you knew what you needed, but that was before you saw everything in the store, right? You left the car knowing the three things you were walking in for. Uh, you were walking in for some toilet paper, some ground beef, and some bread, and that was it. That was the marching assignment. You walked in knowing exactly what was going to happen. You had maybe even your map laid out. And at the end of it, right, uh, you are walking out with probably more than what you expected, wondering, did I even know what I came in for? Uh, I've walked in many times and walked past like cutting boards. And I remembered I didn't like the ones we had, so maybe I should just buy new ones, right? I walked in and thought, uh, I don't remember the last time I changed my windshield wipers, but these seemingly are cheap, so let's go with that. Now, I walked in and saw things like new dips for chips, right? And maybe that's the fast coming at me hard, but you walked in, you saw it, and you're like, I've never had that before. I've never seen those flavors put together before. You're drooling, and it's, it's rude to open it in the aisle and eat it, so we better pay for it. So now it's with you in the line, and you're checking out with it. And I say all this to say a lot of times for a lot of us, uh, we walk into stores. Some of you, I know Target's your jam, and that's where you find yourself in all those situations. Um, but where you walk in and you thought you knew what you needed, but you walked out uh, learning that you needed more than what you thought. Uh, Steve Jobs, who was the uh, uh, founder and CEO of Apple, or one of the founders, is famous for saying that people don't know what they want until you show it to them. And the thought was, right, is that uh, someone said, oh, you know, you need to tell people whatever. He said, no, that's what they think they want. That's because they haven't seen what we have to offer. He was talking about creating new products with new features. And he goes on to quote in that same interview, Henry Ford, the founder of Ford Motor Company, who said, if I would have asked customers what they wanted, they would have told me a faster horse. And, and I mention all this to say that for a lot of us in our spiritual life, what we think we want isn't actually what we need. I'm not talking about dips or horses or windshield wipers, maybe five-gallon buckets of cheese balls, I don't know, right? Not talking about those things, but in our spiritual life, there's things that we think we want, but it may be because we've not yet seen what we actually need. 
How often have you thought you knew what you wanted until you saw something that you never thought of and immediately knew that you had to have? In this prayer series on these first three weeks of the year, or I guess the three weeks in uh, January, what we're looking at is uncommon prayer. Last week I mentioned for me, I get into, I don't know what the right word is, I'll call it a prayer rut, where I just kind of use the same prayer over and over. It's just the thing that's downloaded in me, it's what I say, maybe it's what I grew up with, maybe it's just become whatever's habit. And here's what I've noticed, when I get out of the prayer rut, when I start using words that aren't those words, and I start uh, thinking of things that I hadn't thought of, it starts putting me into a different place as I'm praying to God. Uh, When I grew up uh, at uh, family I don't know, events, dinners, whatever, Thanksgiving. My family's a huge family, so used to be, pre-COVID, we'd have like 130 people for Thanksgiving. Crazy. And so, and here's the deal. Every time it was time to pray, right, we would all say the same thing, right? We would repeat this prayer that rhymed, and I just knew it, and I don't, I don't, I couldn't tell you what it meant or what it said. It's just what we used. When we grew up, we would always say the Lord's Prayer at the end of service, and I don't remember the words to it from when I was little. I just remember our Father, whatever, will be the name of the kingdom, come down earth, give us a day, right? And then we'd go through and we'd be at the end. I just knew how to mumble along with everybody else and then we'd get there. And it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the family prayer. There's clearly nothing wrong with the Lord's prayer. That's the one he taught people how to pray. All I'm saying is sometimes for us, we need those uncommon words. We need uncommon rhythms. We need uncommon things. For me, I realized right before we had Jonathan, our oldest, uh, that, that in my prayer life, thanksgiving was, was awkwardly absent. I would ask God for things. I would beg God for things. And not even selfish things. Things for other people. And I realized I'd never really, I wasn't very good at just slowing down and taking time just to thank God. And for me, though, that was an uncommon prayer in that season. God, what am I thankful for? What is going on around me? Uh, last week we talked about praying up. This week we're talking about praying in. Next week we're talking about praying out. Up, God, your, uh, uh, the, the adoration piece of prayer. We see it all over the Psalms, but for us we usually don't do it because it takes time. It's not the thing you're thinking of when you're driving down the road. You're thinking of you, and if there's an ambulance, I always pray for whoever's in the ambulance, and if there's a thing going on, I'm praying. But I really just, I have to take time to separate it and just to go through and thank God for who he is and who he's been to remember uh, what his story in my life has been or what my story in his hands has been. And in today, we're talking about how do we pray for ourselves? And tomorrow or next week, we'll look at how do we pray out at others. Uh, When we look at the Lord's Prayer, it's interesting because the last half of the Lord's Prayer is about praying in. He starts off with the up prayer. Our Father, who's in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he gets into, and give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's stuff that we're asking God to work into our lives. Because as we pray to God, we're asking that he would move us, shape us. In the first week of the year, we talked about God's invitation to those fishermen to come follow him so he could make something with them. And here in prayer, God, would you make me? Would you form me? Would you create in me? Would you mold in me? In prayer, we're asking, God, there's areas I want you to move in. And today, as we talk about in, often we think about prayers that we need 
or things that we think we need. And I'm in no way advising against it. Uh, That's not what we're going to talk about tonight, and I'm not turning you away from it. I'm just suggesting maybe there's some other things we could pray for. Uh, We remember maybe this verse in Scripture where Paul reminds the church in Philippi, do not worry. But some of us forget what he says right after that. There's more to it. He says, don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. That doesn't mean some stuff. That doesn't mean just the things you think God cares about. He invites us to pray about everything. If you're struggling with what shoes to wear to an interview, I don't know that I care. Maybe you care. God says, I may not care either, but bring it to me. Let's talk about it. There may be things that are too big. While shoes may seem too small, there may be things that are too big and you think, I don't think God cares. Stuff with your finances, things in your marriage, stuff going on with your kids, stuff about where you live and things about what's going on. There may be insecurities and doubts and you don't think God cares or would do anything with them. He says, don't forget to pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for what He's done. So we should pray about everything. We should pray for everything. We should pray in everything. And we should pray during everything. I believe that's what Paul meant in his letter to the Thessalonians when he says, pray without ceasing. Not that you would be shelled up in a room by yourself, head bowed, eyes closed, praying, but that as you're out with your eyes open, that you would bring God with you into everything you do, everywhere you go, every conversation you have, and every decision that you're making. Praying without ceasing is not that you get tucked away with God, though I pray those happen because Jesus does it often. But sometimes we forget to be praying as we go, not just as we retreat. However, there's things that we need to be praying that unless someone shows us, we may not know how much we need it. And today I want us to step away from our common prayer life that we pray over ourselves to focus in praying in ways that may be uncommon to us. Uh, Praying in ways that we don't know how much we need them until someone shows us. I always love praying with people that are from different uh, 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 heritages of Christian denominations and backgrounds. Because depending on what the domination or the background or whatever you grew up in, there's different prayers that you learn. Uh, I grew up in a, a Lutheran church until I was probably high school age, junior high, high school, Baptist, uh, sorry, Lutheran and Baptist. So there's certain things that I grew up learning how to pray that others didn't. But there's certain ways that other, uh, other people learn how to pray that I was never exposed to. And what you find as you look through these streams of history, there's been 2,000 years of Christians that have been praying, and there's been models and methods and frameworks that people have created to help them think through the words of Scripture and put our hearts in a place to think of Him more. We're used to praying for ourselves, which is welcomed by God, but uh, in, in requests for things, in qualities that we want, in opportunities that we're asking for. You've prayed to God asking for more. More time, more money, more health. Some of us have prayed to God asking for less. Less stress, less struggle, less fear. We ask God to change us. We ask God to give us. And sometimes we ask God to advance us. But how often, how often do we ask God to go back with us and reflect on our days? 
to go back uh, and, and reflect on this last week and prayerfully going back to last Monday morning and thinking through the moments and the days and the attitudes we've had and the obstacles we've hit and the, 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 the mental stuff we've gone through, the emotional stuff we've gone through, conversations and asking God to walk with us as we go. And that's what I want us to look at today. Uh, there is a daily prayer model that I have found extremely helpful uh, called the prayer of examine. Now, it's not something that uh, you can't open up Scripture and Paul says, here's where you pray this. Instead, it's been a framework that's been put together throughout church history that points us back to the words of Scripture and helps us think through it in a different way. St. Ignatius of Loyola in the 1500s prayed this model at the end of every day. It's the kind of prayer that uncomfortably and uncommonly puts us in a place to examine our hearts, to examine our attitudes, to examine our relationships, our actions, our reactions, our laziness, our overworking, our frustrations, and so on. Here's what I've noticed. I've been invited uh, in the past to different prayer meetings. And I enjoy those. I've, I've loved going. And, and it's a lot of worship and music. And there's usually someone on stage with a microphone. And they pray. And at the end of it, I realize I was invited to that prayer. But I did, wasn't encouraged to pray, if you know what I'm talking about. And I've been invited to prayer meetings where we all are expected to pray. And I didn't want to say anything. There's all these different ways that we're used to praying. And what I want to encourage us and bring us into is another way, an uncommon way maybe for some of you, and maybe for some of you it's common, is how do we examine our lives with God as a way of prayer? Uh, Anthony Bloom writes this about this framework of prayer. He says, your prayer must be turned inwards, not towards a God who is far off, but towards a God who is closer than you could ever be aware this prayer of examine brings your awareness to how close God is to every aspect and every moment of your life. Uh, Richard Foster writes this on this, uh, this framework for prayer. He says, I do not mean turning inward by becoming ever more introspective, nor do I mean to turn inward in hopes of finding within ourselves some special inner strength of an inner Savior who will deliver us. What he means is this isn't praying to you. This isn't about you becoming the Savior that you need, which is fairly common to hear people talk that way. Instead, he said, that's a vain search. If you're looking for you to solve all your problems, you're going to come up just as empty as when you started. Instead, he says, it's not a journey into ourselves that we are undertaking, but a journey through ourselves so that we can emerge from the deepest level of the self into God. It's in this kind of prayer that we realize how deeply embedded in our souls and in our life God is. When God says, you are uh, my, my holy temple, that your bodies are temples, we start to realize how deep He means that when He says, I want to go through every aspect of your day with you. Now, you didn't come here to hear a sermon about a 500-year-old prayer. So instead, what I want us to do, and I don't plan on preaching anything other than what's in the Bible, but I do want us as a framework to get some language that helps us uh, apply Scripture so we can see where it flows and what it means so that we can go into our deeper, uh, most innermost parts of our lives and what may be uncommon to connect more of who we are to who He is. And I want to use more common language than what St. Ignatius of Loyola Used. I love uh, the words uh, Pete Grieg, uh, who's a guy that I've enjoyed, and he uh, uses this kind of prayer and, and talks about it in this way, that you start 
Uh, you start by looking around and replaying your day. And then you move into uh, rejoicing. And then you move into repentance. And then you move into rebooting. And so that's the framework we're going to use. As we pray in, I want us to view this time of prayer as a transition. Uh, when you stop and you're praying for yourself, this isn't just a quick thing that you do on your way out the door. It's a moment where you uh, stop everything that's been going on before and give God your attention. So that everything that flows afterwards has been sifted through and birthed out of your time with Him in your life. I don't want to go into tomorrow without examining this past day in the presence, in the wisdom, in the counsel, in the grace of the Spirit of God. I want God to be continually forming us in every aspect of our lives. And whether you pray this at the end of the day, at the end of a week, at the end of a month, a season of life, or at the end of a year, it's to prayerfully assess what's already happened. And to prayerfully, uh, so that you can step into the future with a spiritually matured sense of what God has done, of where He's called you to be, and who He has called you to be. For us, it causes us to look at our lives in this way, that there's some lessons that I may have missed God teaching me in this last day. I want to go back and with God, walking me through and hearing it. I want you to think of a prayer kind of this way. It's going back and taking a, a tour through your last day with God as the tour guide. Pointing some stuff out. You may have thought, man, I'm glad I got out of work. He's like, you copped an attitude with that lady and we need to talk about it. And without it, you're thinking she deserved it. But when you pray examining your life with God, He's going to show some stuff in you that you need to see so that tomorrow you're more like Christ than you were yesterday. Does that make sense? So it's not a prayer of just kind of joyfully running through and seeing what's going on. I pray joy comes out of it, but it really is God giving God uh, uh, the, the, the freedom in your life to be able to stare at who you are and how you think and how you react and what's going on with you so that he can point some stuff out that you may not see if you just keep going and going and going and going and you never stop to see what's going on. In this prayer of examine, the first thing we want to look at is replay. That's the first step we make in this as we go back. How often have you gone back and replayed your day, your week, or your month? Or another question, do you think you do it enough? I know for me, I can, I can get out of a situation where I've got a little bit of an attitude. Some of it's a little cocky because I think I was right and they were wrong. And I get in the car and I drive away thinking they deserve the attitude that I gave them because they were foolish and I'm clearly wise. And so they had it coming. But when you pray and you ask God to, hey, examine that with me, guess what he's going to point out? There was a giant log hanging out of your eye the entire time you were trying to find the speck in that person. And without that time, you may not have noticed it because your pride and arrogance will carry you from that moment into your next day thinking you were right. Uh, when I was in high school, we would watch films for football. Uh, after a football game, we'd get called in after Friday night, Saturday morning was the time uh, to meet back up. And what we would do is we would go back and look over uh, yesterday's game and we'd look play by play and watch how things worked for the purpose of pointing out a bunch of different things. We were looking for uh, input and analysis and correction and affirmation. What did we do right and what did we do wrong? And then we would look ahead at whoever we were playing the next week. And you would look at what plays are they running and how does it work 
When we stop in this moment to replay, what we're doing is the same stuff. This kind of replay prayer is like watching your day's film with God. God, what is your input on this? What is your perspective? How would you analyze that? What correction do I need where I messed it up? What affirmation do I need where I got it right? Show me what I did right, God, and point out what I've done wrong. In Psalm chapter 139, verse 1, the person that's writing this prayer is asking God to do the same thing, actually admitting up front that God already knows. He says, God, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. I don't have to ask you, hey, do you remember? God's asking me, I want you to come back with me and remember. He says, you know when I sit and you know when I rise. You've perceived my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. That's a little scary when you think back at the last week. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. How powerful is it is, is to know up front that God already knows what you're going to find when you start praying this way. God's already been there. He didn't forget like you did. He paid more attention than what you did. So this isn't an introspective, meditative position. This is a prayerful posture. God, show me what I messed up. Remind me of what I could have done better. God, how many of you, here's where I find myself, I, I often will not uh, um, uh, pay attention to how well I've done things because I'm, I'm, I'm too hard on myself. You know what I mean? I will find everything I did wrong, and sometimes the most powerful thing for me is when God reminds me I'm not a giant screw-up, that there's been some good in the day. And without that prayer, it's hard to go back and replay. So it's not about you embarking on a journey of self-discovery because you'll miss too much and you'll get it wrong. It's about taking a tour through your day with God as your tour guide. He's going to lead and He will speak and He will inform. You get to ask questions and take notes, but He's the one that's going to show you. Later on in verse, uh, chapter 139, at the end of it, in verse 23, He invites God by saying this, Search me, God, and know my heart. Think how powerful that is. Think the things that God's going to point out if you ask Him. Think about the things you're not going to get away with. If you say, God, would you search me and would you know my heart? Test me. That's not something I've often wanted God to do. If I can get away from a test, if I can squeak out of the back door before it's time, I feel like that's going to be a successful day. But here we're asking God, God, would you test me? Would you refine me? It's that blacksmith language of would you, would you see how firm and, 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 and ready I am? And know my anxious thoughts. God, would you show me what's stressing me out, what's making me fearful, what's making me nervous, that sometimes I'm so used to it that I don't even see it. He says, see if there's any offensive way in me. And here's the powerful part. God, would you lead me into the way everlasting? Show me all this other stuff so that I can follow you as we go forward. And that one of our boys has a question, and then while we're answering it, they're walking away. It's infuriating. And how often have we prayed those kinds of verse 23 and 24 prayers to God? God, search me and know me. And while he's saying, okay, well, if you want to search, here we go. And you're like, yeah, okay, that's really good. I'm just going to keep coming. You know, like whatever. 
But I feel good because I asked it. I just didn't actually want to hear the response to it. When you've got to sit before the throne of God while God shows you what's up, you better be ready for it. But know it's going to come with grace and love so that tomorrow you're more like Christ than what you've been today. It's crazy to ask God to do this if you're not going to separate the time and attention to do it with Him. God knows all of it. He's seen all of it. And unless you're trying to hide, ignore, or forget any of it, you need to sit in a posture of praying in and examining it. God, show me what brought me happiness and joy today. God, show me what made me anxious. God, show me what made me fearful. And God, show me why. I need to see why. The second leg of this journey is first we start with replaying, and then we go into this leg called rejoice. Too often, we don't take enough time at the end of the day just to be thankful. Too often, we don't take the time that's needed to give God gratitude and show Him what we're thankful for. Uh, And it kind of looks in something like this, God, show me all that I've been joyfully thankful for. Show me all that I have to be joyfully thankful for. In Psalm 100, we're going to read an entire chapter of the Bible today. There's only five verses, which makes it attainable. But in Psalm 100, he says this, Shout to, for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with glad. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His, and we are His people, the sheep of His pasture. He starts off by praying up. God, here's who you are. Here's what you've done. Here's how you've showed up in my life. And before you start to pray in, make sure that you know who you're praying to. Make sure you spend time being reminded of who he's been and what he's done and things he's done in history that you weren't a part of, but because of his power and his might, it happened. Because you need to remember who you're talking to and who you're giving thanks to. I was watching an interview a couple weeks ago, uh, and it was a guy who is a, a, a Christian philosophy professor uh, and somebody who was uh, somewhere between atheist and agnostic, and, he, and she starts talking about being thankful. She's like, I think it's important to meditate and be thankful. He said, well, who are you thankful to? She's like, I don't know. I've never, I don't know. And he's like, well, I know who I'm thankful to when I'm thankful because I know who he is and I know what he's done because I've gone back and I've looked at it. How many of the Psalms start with, God, you delivered us out of Egypt. God, you saved us when we didn't know what was happening. Remember David, when he gets uh, put in front of Goliath, he's not afraid. Why? Because he's able to replay and go back and say, God, when I was just in the field with with the lion and with the bear, you got me through that because now I've got joy and I can come into this one because I've seen what you've done. So the pattern here is not new. It's not uh, 1,500 years after Christ. It's just someone put language and stuff that's been happening throughout Scripture. And in verse 4 of Psalm 100, he says this, Enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving. When you approach the throne of God, when you come into his presence, you better walk in with some thanksgiving. Because God's been good. Even after a year like 2020, yesterday I was at the funeral of my uncle who had a hard last couple years. And there was still so much to be thankful for. When you enter His courts, when you walk into the temple, when you approach the throne of God, you walk in with thanksgiving. You come into His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name, for the Lord is 
good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. If you want to know why rejoicing is so important, it's because you've got more joy to give and to receive when you give God the thanksgiving that belongs to him because we need to remember how good he's been. We need to remember how faithful he's been. And here's a couple things that may help you. I think there's two areas of thanksgiving to rejoice over when you think of your days, your weeks, your months, your years, and your seasons. The first one is this. Be thankful for the obvious. There's things that you have asked and pleaded God for. These are the memorable things. There's a cancer diagnosis, and you're praying for healing, 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 and that final chemo treatment and the final doctor's visit where they say, it's out of here. Don't forget to thank God, because you'll move past and start being worried about something else, unless you go back and you're thankful. Be thankful for the obvious. Open doors. You may have been praying for a new job or a job, and God calls, and you've got an interview. Don't forget to thank God. There may be big moments or big events. It could be a phone call from an estranged relationship. Don't forget how often and long and tearfully you ask God to mend that relationship. So when the text or the call comes through, don't forget to enter his courts with praise. But don't also forget, don't just thank him for the obvious. Thank him for the ordinary. This is the forgetful stuff. Don't forget to be thankful for the people around you, for the church family that you belong to. Don't be thankful for the provision. It's easy to look at tomorrow and say, I don't know where the money's going to come from, but how often do we sit and look at our lives today and say, but he's sustained me. He's given me daily bread. Today I'm fine, and tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up just as fine as I did today. Be thankful for the obvious, but be thankful for the ordinary. And none of this is a pursuit of general positivity that we hear so often. Right? You just need to smile. You just need to be positive. Here's what I love about God. Here's what I love about Scripture. Here's what I love about Jesus. Because this kind of thanksgiving is possible whether you're suffering or whether you're celebrating. Thanksgiving is possible and it's not dependent on your circumstances or your situation. Listen to the frustration and exhaustion in this prayer out of Psalm 77, verse 1. In this prayer... In the Bible, here's the words. He says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out for God to hear me. And when I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out my untiring hands. And we expect, he says, and then God showed up. But what he says is, and I would not be comforted. I prayed. I didn't hear anything. I wanted help. I didn't feel it. He says, I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated but my spirit grew faint. Verse 6, he says, My heart meditated, my spirit asked, Will the Lord reject forever? Have you had those prayer times? Will he never show his favor again? He says, he, uh, Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in his anger withheld his compassion? See, in Scripture, what I love is God welcomes prayers with people that aren't happy with Him in the situation. That it's okay to let God know that you aren't having it. It doesn't matter. It's not shaking Him. He's still who He was yesterday. He's not changing who He'll be tomorrow. He can, he's just big enough to take it. 
And so as he lashed out, but here's what I love. Then see how examining our thinking, our emotions, and our soul is helpful to give suffering a rejoicing perspective. Because in verse 10, he says, but then I thought. I could look at what I've thought of you. I could look at how I feel. I could look at what's going on right now. But then I thought, to this I will appeal. I'm going to go back and I'm going to look at the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. Talking about favor. I'm going to look at when God had favor on me. I will remember his deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. It may not be the ones I'm praying for that will happen today, but God, you brought me out of some stuff. He says, I will consider all of your works and I will meditate. Literally, I'm going to sit and I'm going to soak in. That's that word meditate. I'm going to soak in everything that you've done, your mighty deeds, your ways, God, are holy. What God is great as our God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the people. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people. What he starts off with is how he's feeling. What he ends with is who he knows God is. What he's starting with is his discontentment and his anger and his emotions and his frustration. But where he ends is who God is, what he's done, the promises that have been fulfilled, and who he knows God's going to be tomorrow, whether how he feels like it or not, is shaped around who God is. Our situation and circumstances do not dictate our ability to rejoice. Sometimes it's a natural response because everything is good, but sometimes it's a difficult discipline because they're not. And the next thing that this prayer of examine calls us into, we started with, we started with this idea of replaying. We can't pray for stuff that we're not fully aware of. So God, show me what actually happened. And then we dive into a place of rejoice. God, I need to be thankful. Maybe not about what's going on today, but I need to be thankful for everything you've done before that because I know you're going to do it tomorrow. And then here we go back and we talk about repent. Now my assumption is this is the one we like to glaze over. This is where we pray things like this. God, would you show me everywhere I've separated myself from you? It's where uh, the psalmist in 139 says, God, would you, would you search me? Would you find any offensive way in me? God, would you, would you show me what I've got because I need to identify it so that I can repent from it and back to you? Now, one of the psalms that I've loved the most is Psalm 51. Uh, best we know, at least the header says it, is it's David's reflection back off his sin with Bathsheba. And it's his prayer, his call out to God when he's been caught, when his uh, past that he's been able to cover up is caught up with him. He starts in verse 1 with this, Have mercy on me, God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Have mercy on me. Why? Because I know that you're a God of unfailing love. And I can bring my garbage to the table with me, and I know you're not going to turn me away. God, have mercy on me. Why? Because you are the God of great compassion. He says, blot out my transgressions. God, would you take it away? Wash me from all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Our sin may be not uh, always too much in front of us. And maybe that's the problem. Because unless we go back and think, it's easy to think, well, I'm just a good guy. And generally, I usually think I am. Until I go back and see when I've not been and say, God, would you take this and would you cleanse me because my sin is before me and I don't want to feel guilty. I don't want to feel shame. Here's what I love. Examining your life from prayer takes and gives verse 3 some traction. 
When we say, would you know my transgression, my sin is always before me. You can't be fully aware of your transgressions if you haven't examined your life with the Spirit to identify them. Your sin will never be fully before you if you don't take time to examine where it's present in your life. For the life of believer, for the life of a believer whom Jesus has replaced your sin and your guilt and your shame with forgiveness and a new life, this examination isn't to bring back that old guilt. Rather, to identify where in your life you need to surrender to God so that more of Him gets into more of you. You've replaced and you've drugged back some guilt into your life that Jesus already took. You've got stuff that you feel about yourself that Jesus doesn't feel about you anymore. And when David prays, my sin is always before me, don't forget that just a few verses before that, he said, God, would you wash me? You can't repent from things that you've not confessed. Confession is, a simply, is simply identifying and surrendering an area of sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says this, If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just, and He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. All we've got to do is name it and hand it over, and God will take it from there. It doesn't say He's going to make you feel shame and guilt. No, because Jesus took that away. But he says there's something about saying it and bringing it up to God. Once we surrender where we've been far from God, our repentance is our turn back to Him. God, where has my life drifted away from God's plan and His presence and His provision? Has it been gossip? Has it been attitude? Has it been a poor reaction, a lack of compassion, a lack of empathy? Has it been ignoring a need? Was there a moment where the Spirit nudged you and you didn't respond? Has there been areas of pride or arrogance? Have you cared too much about current events and not enough about the timeless, matchless, unfailing love of God? Zechariah chapter 1, verse 3 says, Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 says, From that time, Jesus began preaching, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus reminds us, Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And the idea of repent is stop running away and start coming back home. It's the parable of, of the lost son who just goes and he wastes and he spends until he gets to his lowest point. Either you can stay running or you can come back home. And this repent is stop running. Catch yourself in your attitude where you run, in your thinking when you're running, in your relationships when you're running, in your decisions where you're running. Stop running and come back to Jesus. And then once you've done that, once you've gone back and critically thought with God through, praying through, Spirit, show me, guide me through my day, my week, my, one, my month, my season. Show me everything that I missed, God. Point out stuff that I didn't see. Uh, God, here's my rejoicing, step two. Uh, God, here's where I need to repent from what I've seen and what I've said and what has happened. And then the next one is a reboot. Now, that's not the words of Scripture. I don't know if that word was around then. But we're praying something simple like this. God, show me where I need to mature so I can continue to walk with you more clearly. God, show me where I need to grow up a little bit. 
Show me where I need to take a step up. Show me where I need to uh, change what I've been doing and whom I've been. God, show me where I need to hand over my attitude so tomorrow I walk out of here a little bit different. I remember in college, it was probably the first time I had my own computer, and it didn't work ever. I remember calling the IT guy, and it was kind of like the Saturday Night Live skit where you call and they say, did you try to hit the restart button? Did you reboot it? I don't know where the restart button is. I don't know how to reboot the thing. I don't know what it means. So a dude would have to walk across campus to come over to the room to turn off my computer and turn it back on, which apparently is what reboot meant. Didn't know it then, right? And it's this idea that unless we shut it down and start it back up again, we're going to continue with the same problems we've had. Because the past, something has happened to get up to the point where now it's frozen, stuck, and it won't do what it's supposed to do. And how many times have we come to the end of a day or a week or a month and we are broken and shut down and exhausted and we need to be restarted? Because if not, we're just going to drag all that into the next day with us. It's the idea. I love this. Uh, the Webster's definition of reboot is to shut down and to restart. Romans chapter 8, verse 12 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it's not to the flesh. Not to live according to it, for you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. This imagery, this wording, this language we're using is spiritual language. It's this idea that unless we put the old to death, the new can't come back up from it. What we're willing to put to death allows life into that area. Our Christian life is launched by the ending of an old life and the launching of a resurrected life that's only possible through Jesus. Our Christian life matures and grows by constantly examining our life to put to death sin tumors that grow in problematic areas of our life. You can't skip the replay and the rejoice and the repent and skip straight to the new life. There's a process that we've got to go through. Many of us would not take a cold chunk of frozen ground beef, throw it on a bun and take a bite. That'd be disgusting. There's a beautiful process of making a cheeseburger, and I'm thankful for all who do it. When it goes through the process, then it's fine at the end. You can't skip the process and just get to the end without it. After David's confession and repentance, putting his death putting to death his sin, David turns to rebooting. What the new life would be like. God, if you would save me, if you would redeem me, if you would wash me clean, here's who I would be. God, if we stop this train wreck I've been dragging with me and start fresh, here's what it would look like. In verse 13, he says, Then, then I would teach transgressors your ways. So that sinners would turn back to you. Uh, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. What he says, God, if you wipe this slate clean, I won't stop being able to tell people about you. God, if you wipe my slate clean, I can't stop helping people who are broken like I've been come back and find you. God, if you were to rework my life and wipe out the old, I wouldn't stop being able to sing your praise to people who are far from you. Here's my guess is what happens. For a lot of us, we start that way 
But then we kind of stop thinking about where God is and what he's doing. We lose a pulse for what he's pointing out in our life. And we don't go back and replay. And we don't rejoice. And we don't repent. And so we kind of lose track of those radical life-changing moments of our life, let alone our salvation. And so we stop feeling the compulsion just to share and give and bless and praise. Because we forgot how much we needed him. And we forgot how deeply he saved us. And we forgot where we'd be if it wasn't for him. And so in our forgetfulness, we just kind of stop telling people. In fact, we start becoming more like them. But here what we see is that his mercies are new every morning. Here we see where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Please continue asking God for things. Please continue bringing that to him. Please continue asking God into what you think is too small to ask him. He wants you to talk to him about it. Ask God for the things that you think are so big and out of your control that, uh, th that nobody could sign a piece of paper and change everything. Ask God about the big stuff. Bring God into your difficulties and your worries and your anxieties without evaluating whether you think it's worthy to bring to him or not. He's wiped that slate clean and said, whatever you got going on, I want to deal with it with you. But what we need and what we're offering today is, is the thoughtfulness of prayer, of asking God to show you who you've been. Remind you of who you really are. And to move you forward into what He has called you to be. To reboot your life in the vein of Psalm 51 so that you would walk out of that examination with God in prayer having nothing but praise to give having nothing but thankfulness to give away, having nothing but honor and glory where you can't stop telling people about the God that saved you and not just from your sin, as though that wasn't enough, but there was some stuff he brought you through yesterday. There's some things around lunchtime that Jesus has brought you out of. And when you're evaluating and you know it and it's before you and his, his salvation is clear and his goodness is clear and his faithfulness is clear, you can't help but to offer that out. Remember His promises. Jump back into His service. Forgive yourself. The question in Scripture is not whether or not Jesus forgave you. Most of the stuff we drag through is, did you forgive yourself? Say something to others about His goodness to others. And when you mess up, bring it back to Him. It's His favorite offering is the return of a prodigal heart. It's been drifting. It's been wandering. You've been out here. You are fearful. You're tired. You're empty. You're scared. You're angry. You don't know what's coming up next. And guess what? That makes you like every human that's ever lived. You're not special. I hate to tell you. And Jesus knows who we are. God created us. He knows the amount of, this is a rough example when you don't have anybody, knows the hair on your head. He knows when you sit down and when you lie. He sees your coming and going. He knows all of it and just wants you to see what He sees. He just wants you to know about you what He already knows about you. Your sin doesn't shock Him as much as it shocks you. But sometimes, because we've not spent time with God walking through and rethinking and examining and paying attention to what's going on, we'll miss what God's been doing the entire time. And I'm inviting you into a different kind of praying over yourself. Not just for stuff and advancement and things and more. And please continue praying God for those things. But praying that God would shape you. 
praying that God would mold you, that God would kick you off your high horse and put you on your knees, praying that God would elevate you because of his goodness and his will, not because of your striving and your fighting. Praying that God would open your eyes. Praying that God would show you what's good. This week, I would love for us to continue starting our prayer time by praying up and moving into our own life. God, you're good. God, you're holy. God, you've saved me. God, you've cleansed me. God, there's things that I have done that have discredited me, but you have come and you've redeemed me. So God, this week, show me what I need redeemed from this time. God, show me where my attitude's been off and you need to bring back. God, show me where I've let exhaustion and tiredness and anxiety live too long that's taken away from my thankfulness and my joy about where you want me to go. Let's stand and pray. Lord Jesus, as we come to you, Father, we do give you praise. We give you joy. God, we give you honor. We give you glory because of who you are and what you've done. Father, we are grateful. We're grateful for the invitation that we receive from Jesus, that our sin was wiped clean at the cross, that in the empty tomb, a new life and resurrection was offered that we walk into. God, we are grateful. God, keep us reminded of the deep need we have to continue to come back to you. God, would you remind us that you've opened the door, that you've given the invitation, that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, that you would be an ever-present help in our time of need. God, would you remind us that we've got some stuff we need to point out, identify, confess, and repent from, but we don't walk out empty-handed, just handing you things. God, you keep on to us love and affirmation. You keep on to us our calling and our purpose. You set us apart. You send us out. God, I pray that we would be reminded uh, that guilt and shame are not part of your plan for our life. In fact, that you, uh, uh, your, your, your death on a cross wiped that out. But in order to experience this freedom, we need to take off the old self and put on the new self daily. God, would you help us as we pray be reminded of how much we need to sift through the moments, the interactions, the attitudes, the behaviors, where we've been prideful and arrogant and cocky, and it's made us think that we're right and everyone else is wrong. The entire time we've got a log hanging out of our eye that we can't seem to see. God, would you point that out to us so that we can remove what's hurting us and walk with Jesus and the Spirit every day. Lord, this week as we pray for ourselves, as we pray in, asking that you uh, would, would show us some things that we've not been able to see. God, that you would challenge us in ways. Uh, God, there's going to be some scary stuff that pops up, things that we thought we buried, and it's over. God, would you be gracious? Would you be merciful? Would you remind us of your goodness?